There are a million ways to make money in the food service industry. You just have to find one. On the Titans of Food Service podcast, I interview real life movers and shakers in the food game who cut through all the noise to get to the top. My name is Nick Portillo and welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. Let's jump right into it. Welcome back to another episode of Titans of Food Service. I'm your host, Nick Portillo, and today I welcome Dan Bubniak, an entrepreneur and co-owner of Dirty Hands. With a passion for building great businesses through exceptional leadership, Dan embarked on his entrepreneurial journey at the age of 24. Pretty young, right? From his early days as COO, CFO, and co-owner of a small family business in the Northeast, he spearheaded a remarkable 20 X growth over six years. That's impressive. Transforming it into a national organization with a presence in over 35 states and a workforce of 250 employees. Dan's commitment to continuous learning, vulnerability, and fostering growth became the cornerstones of his leadership philosophy. He understood the essence of being a true leader and recognized the pivotal role of a shared vision, accountability, and the dedication to building great people in the journey to success. Scaling, as we all know, poses challenges. And that's when Dan discovered EOS. What is EOS? EOS is the Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's a pivotal tool in maintaining discipline in execution. Now, fast forward to today, and Dan has dedicated himself to coaching entrepreneurs and leadership teams on the art of building better businesses and, in turn, better lives through EOS. Working with clients of all sizes and ambitions, he finds his sweet spot with those dedicated to meaningful growth. His clients, much like himself, are growth-oriented. They're passionate about development, open and honest, and intensely focused on building something truly special. Get ready for an insightful conversation with Dan. He's a true titan of food service as he shares his knowledge and experience in the world of leadership and business growth. Let's go ahead and welcome Dan. Hi, Dan. Welcome to the Titans of Food Service podcast. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come on and, and share your story a little bit with me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Nick. Of course. Well, I always like to start off with like what I call the fiery five food service questions. These are five easy, just fun icebreaker questions. Are you ready? Yep. Let's go. If you could only eat one cuisine for the rest of your life, what would it be? Oh, man, it would be steaks. steaks. Big, uh, big fat bone-in ribeye for sure. <laughs> Funny story, for steaks for me, two years ago, I got gout in my foot, and you can get it from eating too much red meat, which is mm. is kind of very bizarre to get gout, because it's only, what, 28 at the time, and usually people that are, I think, much older, uh, maybe 50 and, and above, get gout, and it was horrible. It's the worst pain I've ever been in my life. <laughs> Man, forget the pain not being able to eat red meat. I don't know. I know, I right? I know. Next question. If you could have dinner with any person, either historical or living, who would it be and why? Oh, that's a good question. I'd say John Rockefeller because I'm reading his books now and I think it's uh, pretty fascinating how he how he saw the world. So yeah. probably John asked him some uh, some questions about competition and you know how he used to go about it. Amazing. That's a great that's a yeah. great choice. If my wife and I had one night in Connecticut, where must we go? Oh man. Got the zingers today. Uh, so I would say 
Old Saybrook. Uh, there's a, a spot on the water up the coast in Old Saybrook Inn. Uh, my wife and I got engaged there. Cute little town right on the water, little marina. Uh, got the boats, some good food. There's a, a restaurant down there that has a great burger uh, at the spot. So Old Saybrook, man, if you're trying to get away for two-day weekend, it's a good spot. Amazing. What about a popular dish or meal that everyone must try the next time they go to Connecticut? Uh, I would say pizza in New Haven, right? We uh, we always get made fun of because us Connecticut folks think we have better pizza than New York. It's true. Go uh, go look at um, Dave Portnoy's pizza reviews, and you'll see you've got to you've got to try New New Haven pizza. Okay, okay. For this next one, rank these five restaurant chains without knowing what comes next. Are you ready? Yep. The first one is Friendly's, one through five. How would you rank that one? Oh, man. I have some nostalgia as a kid, but I would probably say three. Okay. Nardelli's Grinder Shop. Mm, I'm a two on that one. Chip's Family Restaurant. I'd give that a four. Frank Pepe Pizzeria. Yeah, I think that's overrated. I'll give it a two. And then Duchess is the last one. Duchess. Oh, man. I got to give that one a one. Duchess is... uh. Yeah, sketchy. <laughs> sketchy. Sketchy if you're going to Duchess. <laughs> sketchy. So I've got it as Duchess, Nardelli's, Frank Pepe, Friendly's, and Chips. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you. So, Dan, maybe a little background on yourself. Who are you? What is your business? Maybe let's start there. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I, uh, I started my career in public accounting. got my CPA right out of college, spent about four years working at Deloitte in Stamford, Connecticut, in New York City on kind of large private equity corporations. Um, I really liked it. I had a ton of, of great mentors, uh, partners that invested in me, but I, I learned over the years that I didn't want to be a tax accountant for the rest of my life. And so actually, funny enough, a company called Dirty Hands, you know, a friend of mine and his family started the business. And, you know, I used to give some financial advice, just, you know, my friend was looking for some advice as they were growing. And they offered me a job about seven years ago to come on as their CFO, small business at the time. From there, um, Dirty Hands is, by the way, if, for anyone who's not familiar, it's a natural food merchandising company. So, you know, we go out there and provide field support for, for natural food brands across the country. But at the time, it was a small business and uh, came on as CFO, um, quickly took over operations as well as COO, just had that process mindset. And we scaled it, you know, about over the past seven years, I spent my time kind of getting into the weeds of growing leadership teams, building out infrastructure, developing new services, building out a financial infrastructure. And we grew it, you know, across the country to a couple thousand stores, you know, in 40 states and became the largest merchandising company over the, the past six, seven years. So yeah, I mean, what I what I do best is is really take take ideas and make them real, right? I spent a lot of time taking these concepts and saying, how would we put people around that? How much would that cost us? What would we need to price a service to make this profitable and make this scalable? And so that that was my area of expertise. I got fortunate in building a great leadership team over that time, bringing on a C-suite, an advisory board with a great director team where I got to step out of the day-to-day. You know, I, what's funny about growing a business is, your business change and, and you change dramatically within your business as it scales. And so I loved getting into the weeds and solving problems and getting out into the field and going into grocery stores uh, and doing the work. And as, I, as we got bigger and we surrounded ourselves with a, a lot of experience and talent, I started to like the job less because I was more of a role player than I was a problem solver in the weeds. 
And so I chose to step out of the day-to-day and start my new journey, uh, which is as an EOS implementer today. So shout out to the, the, to the vest here, <laughs> which I've been doing for about six months. So I still sit on the board of Dirty Hands. I solve the strategic level problems. But now I'm in the day in EOS. I help business owners really effectively move people, right? As business owners grow and they try to reach scale, the two issues that really hold them back is first is, are they willing to change, right? Because mm-hmm. where you are at 10 people to where you are at 50 people, you have to change the way that you're doing business. And so I help people understand when they've hit the ceiling and figure trying to figure out how do they get through that into the next level. I help them figure out what change is necessary. And the second thing with EOS is, Getting a business to a high level and scaling a business is all about moving people in the same direction with accountability and discipline. And so what I do as an implementer in EOS is introduce the tools and processes and disciplines to help leadership teams move people in the same direction with accountability and discipline. So that's what I'm doing today. I think for a lot of entrepreneurs... A little background on myself is my dad and I, we're also in a family-owned business. Him and I, we started our company back in 2015, so almost nine years uh, nine sure. years ago at this point, which has been uh, it's been an, a, an incredible journey for sure. And w- as we talked off camera, we're part of uh, EO Entrepreneurial Organization, which is a great organization for any entrepreneur out there to connect and network and meet other people who are going through similar uh, life experiences as you are owning and running your own business. And you touched on, you know, you, you viewed yourself within the Dirty Hands company and said, I, it's time for me to take a step back and start a new journey. How did, how did you structure the business so that you could say, I can, take, I, I can get out? Yeah, yeah. And this is what I do for, for companies today. Um, I think the hard thing about growing a business is you're so in the weeds that it's hard to imagine, it's hard to imagine what the business could look like if you if you stopped looking at names and seats and you stopped looking at where you are today. A lot of the times when we grow businesses and we scale, the structure that got us, let's say, to one million to five million might stay the same, but to get to five million to ten million might need to be different. Mm. But it's hard as a leader to reimagine that structure because there are people involved in your business. It's emotional. Right. What I do and what I did for Dirty Hands was you have to you have to almost take a you have to start from zero. Right. You, you need to look at where your business is today. But more importantly, where are you going in the next 12 to 24 months with a blank slate? And when you do that, you can reimagine the structure of your business. So simply put, if I said I want to grow 20 percent in the next 12 months or 50 percent or 200 percent, what would the business need to look like to get me there? What would be the right seats on the bus? What functions would I need? And what functions would need to be strong? Then once I understand what functions exist, what does each of those functions actually have to deliver to my business? And so you're reimagining the structure looking forward. What does this need to look like? And often when you do that, you realize that maybe the role that you're in today isn't the right role to be in for the next 24 months, right? And, but you only get to that conclusion by being objective and looking forward without any of that ego and emotion involved of what does my business look like today or what did it look like in the past? Mm. So for Dirty Hands, we got to a point where, you know, me in, in the CFO seat, I had brought on a director of finance. She had a, a team uh, beneath her of, of a couple of positions and, and the finance department was humming, right? They didn't, they didn't need me involved. And so when I reimagined the structure of the business, it really came down to, is this, is this structure necessary for where we're going in the next 24 months? And I saw my position as a role player not necessarily being vital anymore at the point in time 
because we had such a strong foundation and team behind me who were able to make the decisions and had the accountability and discipline to, to make their own decisions. That's very profound. I mean, that is hard to do. So you're essentially saying you start with the, the end or the goal in mind and then work backwards from there. Sure, exactly. Got it. So tell me more about this EOS system. What does it look like when you come work with a, a, an entrepreneur? What does that engagement look like? Maybe some details around that. Sure. So when we're working with companies, we're really trying to do three things. We're trying to get them strong at three things. The first is uh, getting clear around vision, right? And so vision means that everyone in the business is 100% aligned in where the company is going, both short and long term. Most leadership teams, when they come into my office, I'll ask them, point blank, and the whole leadership team, I'll say, how aligned are you to a plan? And I often get, you know, question marks, right? We don't have a plan or everyone has a different version of their own plan, right? The problem with that is, is when there is not one clear plan, then again, everyone creates their own version of what the future should look like. And when everybody on the leadership team has a different vision for the future, they start like subconsciously rowing against each other. So it creates unnecessary friction. So the first thing we're doing is getting them clear on what is the one version of the future. Where are we going and how are we going to get there? The second is called traction. We want to get people strong with traction in their business. Having a vision isn't enough if there isn't that accountability and discipline in the day-to-day to keep people focused, accountable, and disciplined to making that vision real. Right. So that's the second thing. The third thing that we do is then create healthy leadership teams. Because once you got a vision, once you have accountability and discipline, what tends to happen when you put a bunch of high performers in the same room together, people like there's egos and opinions, right? Like high performers, they, they, they are very egotistical. So they don't just work well together. You're more likely to get somebody choke slamming somebody when you put high performers in a room than getting to consensus. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to do with EOS and the frameworks that we put in place help leadership teams become more healthy when it comes to giving feedback, being open and honest getting through issues, right? Actually solving core issues rather than getting those opinions and egos in place. So the way that we strengthen these leadership teams and business owners is we're introducing, I'd say over a few years, right? Because there's day jobs. We're introducing 20 tools and disciplines into their business that allows them to get strong in those three areas. One clear vision with accountability and discipline and a healthy leadership team who can enter conflict, solve issues together, not choke slam each other uh, and really work well together. So that's it at a high level. And I'm, I'm happy to dive into any tools as examples if you want to go there. Yeah, let's go back to the first, the first point you made around vision. I remember starting our business back and, and creating a vision right you know, back then and to even here in present day, just a couple months ago, before we got to the end of the year, we had all of our leadership fly in and we did a two or three day retreat and really talked around vision and where we want to go. What are some tips and tricks that you would recommend to other entrepreneurs out there to get your teams aligned? Sure. I mean, the the biggest failure in vision is people do it all the time, right? Everybody wants to develop a plan. The reality is vision fails when there isn't any traction, when there's no actual short-term plan to actually make that real. And that happens all the time. And that's why entrepreneurs and leadership teams actually get frustrated going into these vision setting processes because they know that nothing's going to happen, right? We're going to have two days or one day of awesome work, of awesome discussion, but they're just going to be ideas and there won't be any traction against them. So the the way that I recommend uh, and I I work with teams is we start with a a 10-year target, right? Like it's not so much about the, the 
the time frame, it being specific to 10 years. It could be five years. It could be 30 years. It doesn't necessarily matter. What we need to make clear is what is the number one long-term goal for this business, right? And an, an example of that for my 10-year uh, target as an EOS implementer, my goal is to drive a billion dollars of value for my clients. So I, I know when somebody comes in, if they're $20 million in revenue and they leave 10 years from now and they exit for $500 million, I'm able to measure against that. That first, you know, the 10-year the target isn't this big, long strategic plan. It's a one to two sentence. Like, what, what is the number one goal? Where are we going long term? The reason why we do that is because it allows you to then frame the shorter term. We, we can all take one step into that same direction and then beginning to plan shorter term. The second thing that we do is bring it closer to the ground is do a three-year picture, right? So now that we've got our 10, we say, what would the business need to look like a short three years from now to actually put us on track to that 10? The way we do that is with, we define what revenue needs to look like, what profit needs to look like, and then what measurables would need to look like. And measurables is just a way to, to really bring life to what those profit and revenue numbers look like. So for example, if you're selling, uh, you know, a, a, a food product, like a good measure would be like in three years, how many stores are we selling in? Are we selling in 4,000 stores? It's easier to then quantify to the rest of your employees. Like if we just get to 3,000 stores, we're going to hit these revenue and profit targets, right? So you're bringing kind of, you're bringing that humanity, uh, your product and service into what you're measuring. What you do after that is then you would say, all right, to get to these revenue, profit and measurables targets, what would the business need to look like? Like what would actually need to happen? What are the five to 15 things that would need to change mm -hmm. to get us to this three year? So for example, do we need uh, to double our HR team, right? Maybe we're going to hire 15 people. So we hire 15 people. We need a strong HR department. Maybe we need to open up an office on the West Coast. Maybe we need to launch a new product line. But you're getting specific on these are the five to 15 things that we have to do within the next three years to make this profit and revenue targets real. So you're starting to, with the leadership team, you're starting to craft this visual for what the business team, the business needs to look like a short three years from now. And that's the first moment when I see with leadership teams where we've gone through this visualization exercise together, where I say like, now, can you guys actually see this? Can you see this being real short three years from now? And you start to get the smirks, right? Because this is the first time that they've actually created one vision for the future that they now all see. And so when you can see it and when you, you can believe it, it becomes a thousand times more likely that it's going to happen. After the three year, when you do three years really well, and that's quick too, right? This isn't like a yeah. three to five page strategy, Doc. This is a basic 15 bullet points at most, five to 15. You then go into the one year. So when you do the three well, you can start to plan your one really strongly. Mm. You do the same thing. What are the three to seven? Or sorry, you do the same thing first, which is what does our revenue and profit need to look like? Mm -hmm. What do the measurables need to look like a short year from now? And then after that, you're saying, what are the three to seven most important things that the company has to accomplish in the next 12 months? It's three to seven, not 27, because when you're trying to do everything, you do nothing. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I... I you know, I see companies fail so often because they get shiny object syndrome. They can't get any one or two big things done because they're trying to do too much. So we simply say, looking at that 10-year, looking at that three-year, what are the three to seven most important things we have to accomplish in the next 12 months? We prioritize those things. 
And then to bring it even closer, we go, all right, now what are the what do we have to get done in the next 90 days? So we'll set a revenue target, a profit target, measurables target. And then we'll say, what are the three to seven most important things in the next 90 days? We'll do that for the company. And then for each leader sitting in the room, we do that for them too. What are the three to seven things they have to accomplish to make this real for the company? And so you could think, Nick, what I said in the beginning is most companies just do like the 10 and the three, where it's like, this is this vision, but they forget to do that. They forget to inject the accountability, discipline, and focus with that one and that 90. We're taking that 10 and the three, and then we're imposing the focus and accountability and discipline by setting that three to seven most important things for the year, and then giving each leader a focus that you have to accomplish these three to seven things in the next 90 days to make that real. So that that's how we do strategic planning. That's how we create traction on a vision. And people love it, right? Because leaders finally, it raises the bar for everybody. Oh, yeah. Everybody is accountable to stay focused and to knock down big things. Uh, and so it's just a great way, again, to start to inject that accountability and discipline. Can the 10-year target or the three-year target, can it be just a purely a revenue goal? Let's say I'm making $10 million in annual revenue today and I want to go to $50 million. Can that be the, the sure. actual goal itself? Yes. Yeah, it can. I see that a lot is uh, that becomes the 10-year. You know, a brand might be at $10 million today. They want to get to $100 million in revenue. That becomes their 10-year target. So it can be a revenue target. And what's the best way for entrepreneurs to be able to track all of this? You know, it's one thing to create the plan, but how do you track it? Yeah. So optimally, if you're setting kind of a 90-day target, right? So you set a 90-day revenue target, a 90-day profit target. What you need to then start to do is develop a quarterly cadence of meeting, right? So you want to have quarterly hopefully off-site meetings where you're pulling the leadership team away from the day-to-day, getting them out of the weeds, and you're assessing how you did against those targets, right? So so that's what we do. We pull the leadership team away. We measure, look at our financials. Hey, we said we were going to hit this revenue and profit a quarter from now. How did we do? We'll assess it, and then we'll set the next quarter. So you're really developing that cadence of stepping back out of the day-to-day weeds assessing how you did against that 90-day plan from a revenue and profit perspective. And then you're also injecting that accountability to going around the room and saying, hey, these were your three to seven goals. Did you knock those down? So you'll go person by person. And again, that just allows you, again, so many businesses, they create these plans, but they forget to then measure them. They forget to have that accountability and discipline of like, did we do what we said we were going to do? And so creating that quarterly offsite cadence allows you to really reflect and then set the plan for the next quarter. So you're constantly iterating, developing a 90-day world within your business. How do leaders take these meetings? You know, let's say a company started with zero. They, they don't meet at all, because I'm sure you run into yeah. those types of companies all the time. They're just, everybody's going off in their own different directions. And now you're bringing everybody together, talking about visions, putting together your targets and your goals and, and everything into place. How do people react to that? Oh man, it's all over the map. So let me let me first by let me first say we don't just meet quarterly. So quarterly is an offsite; it's more strategic. We do also meet weekly. So we develop a weekly meeting cadence with the leadership team. We call it a level ten meeting. That meeting is a ninety minute meeting. So it's a big meaty meeting where we're bringing the leadership team together. And the intention of that meeting is literally every single week you are reading your ninety day priorities for the company and for each person. So you'll walk into that meeting. And you're saying, all right, here's the three to seven company priorities. Are they on track or off track? Then each person on the leadership 
team is reading their own priorities. Am I on track or off track? So again, you are forcing people to focus on their priorities every single week. So a lot of people in the beginning, they hate that, right? They're like 90 minutes. That's a waste of time. I have all this stuff to do. Um, But what tends to happen is if you don't inject a weekly cadence, then the quarter goes by and you reflect and you didn't get anything done, right? So so we meet weekly. And once people start to get the joke that simply by repeating your goals and by showing up together and saying I'm on track or off track, that accountability of in, in of itself helps everybody in the room stay focused. Now, the biggest thing that people hate and leadership team hate, like this is so common, is everybody's like this meeting could have been an email, right? Like all leadership teams do is they discuss the heck out of things and never really get to the root of any issues or solve anything. And so I, I, I often come out of meetings like, why did we just do that? Like if I look at the collective brain power in the room and the salaries, I just spent $10,000 on a meeting where we discussed things that are either not important or could have just been an email. And so the way that you solve that, Nick, and the way that I try to solve that with leadership teams is we focus on our priorities. We only meet on what we agreed was the most important things. And then we're spending 60, 60 minutes of our meetings simply talking about issues that are in the way to those specific priorities. So I teach and train leadership teams to bring up big, meaty issues, right? Like if we need to hit 10 million in revenue this quarter and we are clearly off track, let's talk about that, right? Let's talk about what we can do to get that back on track. What's the root of the issue, right? Like is it, is a lot of times leadership teams will put sales is off track. Like that's the issue they're discussing. But if you dig beneath the surface, and I teach this, I'll say, like, is that actually the root issue, guys? Like, what's why are sales off track? Mm-hmm. A lot of teams would say, let's go hire more salespeople, or let's go hire more marketing people, or invest more dollars in, into marketing people. And then you step back and you dig a little bit deeper, and you realize that has nothing to do with the root issue. The root issue is maybe the market turned and our customers are going bankrupt. That's a very different issue to solve than, right, than our revenues off track where you were first going to hire all these salespeople, that wouldn't have changed the fact that your customers are going bankrupt. So maybe we needed to be actually solving the fact that we need a new product offering or we need to find a way to maybe reprice our products. So I think to, to reframe what, you're, what you asked, Nick, people hate meetings, number one, because we're not talking about important things and they could be updates. So talk about important things, right? Challenge each other to talk about important things. And number two is actually solve real issues. Like, don't just give updates. You, you got to be open and honest as a leader to say, honestly, guys, we're going to miss this goal. So let's actually talk about it because most people won't talk about it. They want to be comfortable. They want to stay in their comfort zone. And then what happens is you get to the end of the quarter and you miss you miss your results. And I see that it's a chronic issue within leadership teams. They're afraid to actually address and get to the root of the real issues that are holding them back. Would you recommend for businesses that just the leadership does these level 10 meetings or everybody in the organization has their own separate level 10 meetings? Uh, Everybody. And so, you know, as I'm working with companies, we first started the leadership team level because, again, as the leadership goes, the rest of the company goes. If a leadership team isn't doing these things, no one else in the organization is going to be able to follow in their footsteps. So we get leadership teams strong first at developing that weekly cadence, solving real issues, holding each other accountable And then what we're trying to do in organizations is create a team of problem solvers, right? Like so often, if you enter an organization, you see there are so many bottlenecks at the top because every single leader has to be involved in every single decision. And that's generally because we're not teaching people beneath our level to solve their own issues. And so by developing a level 10 meeting cadence that you push down throughout the organization, 
you're teaching different levels to figure out how to solve their own issues. You're giving them that accountability and discipline and framework to start unearthing their own issues, to prioritize their own you know, goals and to make sure that they're knocking issues down that are holding them back. So throughout the organization, we're trying to develop that muscle memory of, of problem solving throughout the business. What is the structure of the level 10 meeting? Yeah. So, I mean, something we didn't talk about is, uh, is developing a scorecard. Um, we yeah. developed a scorecard for, for entrepreneurs as well. So what are the five to 15 most important measurables that develop the pulse of your business? So we'll do that. And so the, the structure of a level 10 is uh, we start with a segue, which is just an ease into the business meeting. So like a personal best, a business best, like we did today. What are, what's an mm-hmm. easy way to enter the meeting? But then we'll jump into what we call the reporting section of the meeting. The first is looking at our scorecard. So these are just those five to 15 measurables. You know, in, again, in, in, we're talking food here. So it could be, um, you know, how, what was our uh, out of stocks? Right. Like out of stocks develop the pulse of our business or um, how many stores are we in? That's a measurable. But we're saying, what are the five to 15 things that develop the, the pulse of the business? So we look at our scorecard five minutes. Are these measurables on track or off track? If it's off track, we drop it down to the issues list, which I'll get to in a second. We then go to our rocks. So we read the company rocks and we say on track or off track. We read the individual's rocks. We say on track or off track. Anything that's off track gets dropped down to the issues list. The third thing we'll do is we'll say any customer employee headlines. So are we going to lose a major employee? Are we going to gain a big customer? What does this leadership team need to know? Those are 15 minutes, right? Five minutes for each. So we're not doing a ton of discussion. We're simply reporting on what are the most important things that are going on within our business in those 15 minutes. And we've built our issues list full of things that are that are going to hold us back. We're off track on these priorities or we're off track on these measurables. We then spend 60 minutes solving problems. So like I said to you, most leadership teams, their meetings are just updates. They're not like real big, meaty issues. In this issues part of the L10, we're solving those big, meaty issues, right? We're off track to this major goal that we need to hit in the next quarter. That made it to our issues list. Or our revenue is off track. We can see that in our measurables. We put that on our issues list. So we're forcing ourselves to build this issues list of big, meaty issues that we're using the collective brain power of the leadership team to solve. So what we'll do next is we'll have an issues list, maybe 20 to 30 items. And we'll say, guys, what are the top three issues? We don't want to solve the first thing on the list because it could be like, you know, the coffee machine's broken. And Mm -hmm. that's not actually a big real issue that we need to waste everybody's time on. So we'll say, what are the top three issues on this list? And we start with number one. And as I mentioned to you, we start with, I'll, I'll, I'll force my teams to say, read the issue on the list. But what most people write as the issue is a symptom. It's not the real issue. So I'll, I'll force the teams to say, get, get good at pushing back on each other. Like, what is the real issue here? Is it that revenue is off track or is it even, be, is there something beneath the surface? Has the industry changed? Has the pricing changed, right? Has the market changed? What is the real issue here? We get to the root of the issue. Then we start discussing it and then we solve it, which means it's either a decision or it's a seven day to do, Right. Then we move on to number two, we solve number two, move on to number three, and then reprioritize the list. So we go 60 minutes of identifying, discussing, and then solving issues, either solving being we knock it down by a decision or a to-do that's assigned a person and has a seven-day timeframe. So that's the cadence of the meeting. We go through 60 minutes. You start to see leaders are actually starting to solve big media issues every single week, which means they actually enjoy coming up to meetings, which is a big shock 
over time where people used to hate meetings, they start liking it because we're actually solving issues together using the collective brain power in the room. So that's the cadence of the L10. We, we conclude five minutes, we rate the meeting one through 10. If it's not a 10, how could it be better? That helps us as leaders get better the next meeting and iterate as we go. That's the framework. Wow. If someone wants to work with you, do, do you only work with people in the Northeast or you cover the whole country? Um, whole country. Uh, most of my clients, I do like to be on site because a lot of what we're doing is, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a teacher and facilitator. So I'm teaching the EOS tools and facilitating these conversations, getting to the vision, getting to the goals. But then my job is a coach as well. That's the third role, which is to really push people out of their comfort zone. You got the tools, you see the answers. A lot of the times people don't make the right decisions because they just need a little bit of pushing. So that's my job. It's harder to do that offsite. It's harder to do that over a screen. I like that, you know, feeling people out, right? Seeing that body language. So I do, I do work with companies everywhere. I generally like when people are in my conference room. So some people will fly in to see me. I have a lot of clients in Connecticut, New York, you know, tri-state area. But anybody across the country, I generally have them come and fly in. But I do, I'm, I'm starting to be more open to virtual sessions, which I'm learning the art of that now. And Dan, what's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, I mean, um, email, uh, LinkedIn. You could DM me on LinkedIn. You can call, text me. Number is 203-313-1712. So tossing that out there, um, even though I might get some creepers, just feel free to give me a call or text. And uh, my email is dan at outpaceenterprises.com. All right, there you have it. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the Tides of Food Service podcast. I really appreciate it. And I learned a heck of a lot here. I got a whole page of notes, so thank you. Absolutely. If you want to talk about it anytime, give me a call. You got my number. Sounds good, Dan. Oh, yeah, now I do. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Nick.